we made this. Welcome to Without a Mouse Podcast, the podcast where we watch and review the obscure and forgotten live-action Disney movies on the hunt for a hidden gem. I'm Chris, and I'm talking a lot slower than usual. And I'm joined, as always, by Tim. Hello, Tim. Hi. Now I'm going to talk as normal now. <laughs> I quite liked that. It's quite dramatic. Oh, you know. I was feeling every word. I was right there with you. I'm a professional. A professional what? Well, mumbler mainly, <laughs> but I, I think this is how the uh, professionals do it. They talk slowly with lots of pauses. Then some poor intern has to edit out those pauses to make it look like yeah, that. me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> takes hours and hours to edit like a one-hour podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, old intern Tim here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the intro, Christopher. Yeah, no problem. It's uh yeah, if you wanna give Tim a bit of money, uh what are we on this week? Kickstarter.com slash without a mouse. Yeah, speaking of money, uh yeah, I had to pay for this film this week. Oh really? This is the first film since us getting Disney Life that was not on the app. Oh. So we had and as well, it was one of those really stupid things where um Amazon doesn't allow you to rent the film. All you can do is buy it outright. Did you try YouTube? Yeah it, yeah, it was the same issue. Same, you can only wow. buy you could only buy outright on both platforms. Well, it's revenge for two weeks ago when I had to rent Gus on, <laughs> U, on YouTube of all places, two pound forty nine for a film about a mule kicking a football. Yeah, um, it was a good one, that wasn't it? It was. Yeah, loved it. So, how how have you been, Chris? It's only been a few days since I last saw you. Yeah, that's been. Yeah, we uh, we. Purposely made time to hang out as normal people and not podcast hosts. Instead of me turning up at eight o'clock, saying hello, recording, and pissed off again about half nine. <laughs> yeah, as has happened for the last like four or five recordings. Yeah, so we we went out for a little dinner date, didn't we? we? Did, yeah, and then came back to mine and played video games. Yeah, that was a damn fine Weatherspoons. <laughs> you take me to the old classiest places in Grimsby. Well, you know, the old uh, Yarbo Hotel. There's only one with a spoons in Grinsby. There's one in Cleefops as well, the Picture Coliseum house. We are spoilt for choice. We are, yes. I think, oh no, we've got the same amount of Starbucks now as we do Weatherspoons. So I say we've improved, but I don't like Starbucks. So <laughs> We're one of the few towns where Starbucks has actually left yes, and did. then returned. That's how shit Grimsby is. Yeah. That's how at the end of the line we are. I've literally never heard of a Starbucks closed down before, but Grinsby, we did it. Yep. Congratulations us. Yep. And uh, the other thing I want to say is that I had a really fun time playing the Wii U for the first time ever. Yes, that's true, yeah. I'm a massive, uh, passionate fan of that console, despite the fact that nobody else ever gave a toss about it. So it's always good to get someone around that has never played it. It's a bit like how uh, Dave of the Cinemortuary podcast, he collects laser discs yeah. <laughs> that no one else has ever been asked with. Obsolete the day it came out, kind yeah, of shit. Just like <laughs> Wii U. 
But um, oh yeah, what did you think? We played. I, I introduced you to one of my favourite games of all time, Nintendo Land. So much fun! It was really good, isn't it? Yeah, the uh, the game of Tiggy or Tag, if you're not yeah. from Grimsby or a <laughs> wider area. Yeah. So like one pl- one player who's it has to look at the gamepad. Well, the other two like play on the screen and you can't see what each other's doing. The whole game is lots of different mini games, but they're all examples of what Nintendo called asymmetrical multiplayer. So one player gets an extra screen and they get more information. So it's like one versus f- up to five, other, uh, up to four other players. Sorry. Yeah. It was one of the launch titles for the console. In most cases, it came packaged with the console for free. And it was the best example of the console's gimmick and no other developers ever made anything that stood up to it. <laughs> no, I imagine it'd be quite hard to come up with concepts that work around what the Wii U was. Yeah. Because I think that's why the Switch is a lot more successful in that the concept is simpler. Yeah. And I don't actually know why they can't do like a Nintendo Land sort of game on Nintendo Switch where one person plays on the gamepad while Viva's playing on TV. I think the hardware's slightly different, obviously. But The barrier to entry for that would be because the switches don't interact with the TV once you're holding them. Mm. So you'd have to have... You could do a Nintendo Land, but you'd need two switches, I think. So you'd have to have one docked on the TV yeah. connected to one handheld, but it is possible. I mean, that's fine. Like, we've played Mario Party with two switches, and it yeah. works really well together. So. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that was that was our Sunday. Hey, a lovely Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, not podcasting. It was lovely. Yeah. Right. Let's get on to this film. <laughs> Is that a bit of a slip there? <laughs> the, the emphasis on that. <laughs> this film. <laughs> so it was your turn to pick this week. Yep. And you picked? The island at the top of the world. And I said on last week's podcast that I didn't hadn't heard of this film. And the name didn't ring a bell, but once I looked into it very, very briefly, I realised that as a theme park fan, and especially a Disney theme park fan, I should absolutely know this film. Um, and I nearly explained why to you when we were in Weatherspoons. Oh yes, yep. And then I was like, no, let's let's leave it. Let's leave it till we uh, we're on. You know, we're recording. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. The island at the top of the world. Um. Quite prominently features a dirigible or a zeppelin uh, called the hyperion and this right let's let's go back a bit chris let's go back to the beginning okay well the beginning of time (laughs) yes the beginning of time uh aka 1955 when disneyland opened okay which is which is you know i is how i look at time is you know it started then but um so 1955 ad after disney yeah, after Disney and before Disney. Yeah. The original Disneyland opened with um, basically four themed lands as such. You've got Adventureland, which is um, sort of jungle and tribal themed. You've got Frontierland, which is Western. You had Fantasyland, which was more your sort of fairy tales and, and Disney characters. And then the fourth one is Tomorrowland, which is supposed to be sort of space and sci-fi. So it's like the Crystal Maze then? It's yeah, yeah, honestly it is. <laughs> and like the Crystal Maze, it's got like a central point where everything goes round it in yes, a circle. It does, yeah. So yeah, quite similar in that. Oh my god, imagine playing the Crystal Maze in Disney. 
I reckon we should. Like if they closed the whole park and did like a one, that would be incredible. That's what our Kickstarter is. Kickstarter.com slash Mouse. If we reach our two million pound <laughs> goal, we'll convince Disney to close for the day so we can play Crystal Maze. Yeah, we've already spoken to them about it and they were like, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> they said if we get 2,000 likes on Twitter, they will. <laughs> if they're really casual at Disney, you know, <laughs> very lax. Yeah. So obviously that opened in the 50s. And the plan was always for Tomorrowland especially to always be updated and made new because of it being a sci-fi theme and, and a futuristic theme. But the, obviously that's turned out to be a really expensive way of running a theme park because mm. it meant that it needed constantly updating. And, you know, every 10 years, everything looks old-fashioned yep. because of the style. But obviously they used the same format for the Magic Kingdom at Florida, and then they opened in Tokyo in the 80s, and they did exactly the same with the Tomorrowland. Um, but then when they opened um, Paris, Disneyland Paris, in the 90s, at the very beginning of the 90s, they reworked the whole Tomorrowland area um, and called it Discoveryland. And instead, it was themed around sort of the turn of the centuries version of sci-fi. So you're thinking your Jules Verne's, your... H.G. Wells. That's the one, yeah. yeah. That's one. Yeah, H.G. Wells. Um, and then because it was made to look retro-futuristic from the outset, yeah. it meant they didn't have to constantly update it because it was meant to look old. It was intentionally made to look sort of almost steampunk Victorian idea of sci-fi. And so they built the hangar for the Hyperion and mm. made it into a restaurant and a stage area. And they had a full-size giant replica of the Hyperion coming out of the hangar on the way in, okay. which is actually still there today. Oh, fantastic. So that was the reason I should have remembered this film. They remember, they went from Smallland to Yesterdayland then. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It went from one to the other. Which is why um, Space Mountain in the Paris Park is a lot cooler than the others, because it has like... A, a literal cannon on the outside of the building. Oh, yeah. So the roller coaster ride literally looks like it's being shot out of the cannon into space, <laughs> which is like super funky and space punk. And it's just, just the whole Discovery Land is way better than Tomorrowland. Hot take. Hot take. Possibly. Controversial opinion. Yep. So yeah, that was the main reason I should have been excited about this film. And once I figured out what was coming i was actually really excited to watch it because i've never seen it before technically haven't properly heard of it well i only heard of it last sunday uh, when i saw my mum was watching it yeah it's like right towards the end as it turned out thought oh that looks okay oh it's podcast eligible fantastic (laughs) i'll just quietly discard the film i've already uh, watched ready to review for a later time and hop onto this instead and i'm gonna say now i'm very glad you did yeah because uh, have you seen the other film yet? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, okay, fair enough. Then. I am. I am excited to see that one as well because um, we won't reveal the name, but there are famous people involved in that production that I'm quite excited to see in a Disney film. Yes, um, and that were involved in the production as well. So, looking forward to that coming back into the roster. Mm. But for now, we've got the Island at the Top of the World, which was 1971, I think. I totally forgot to look up the date of it. I, th- I don't know why I mentioned it. I don't think it was. I think it, it was the 70s, but I think it was later. I'll just double See, check. This is what I thought then. 
I'm sure it was a lot earlier than I expected. 1974. 74. Okay. Oh, yeah, there we go. Close enough. Yeah. That that bloody duck was uh, 71. Oh, yeah. That amazing duck yep. who almost brought down the US economy on its own. But yeah, this um, film was based on a novel called The Lost Ones by Ian Campbell. Yeah. Quite a big departure from the actual novel in that the novel was set in the 60s and was written in the 60s. Yep. So it was kind of a contemporary sci-fi, whereas the version that Disney filmed, they purposely set it backwards in time. Uh, so it's set in 1907, um, specifically because they wanted to sort of recapture the the sort of H.G. Wells and uh, Jules Verne films that they'd created in the 40s and 50s. You definitely get a feel for that because I've seen the, I think it's the 60s version of Journey to the Centre of the Earth. Right. And this very much plays on those sorts of aesthetics, as yeah. it were. It's got a, it's got a, a look. It does, yes. To, and yeah, if you've ever been to Disneyland Paris, it's that kind of look, to be honest. It is. Yeah. I think. I was going to say, you've not been. No, I've not gonna, been. I'm just... You're just agreeing I'm with I'm just me. madly agreeing with you. <laughs> That's very polite of you. It is, yes. I am very polite <laughs> indeed. I mean, I can't nod. No one would see it. Nodding in agreement. I Chris guess. is nodding. I am. Oh, yes. <laughs> just make, make, make fucking 10-year-old reference to bloody Churchill dog. I was going to say, is that even a thing anymore? I don't think it is, is it? <sighs> it was surpassed by meerkats. Yeah. And that... Go compare, man, who's still around somehow. He went away, then everyone got nostalgic for it. And that <laughs> Democracy doesn't work. We've had our first uh, Go Compare reboot already. <laughs> God, next will be a Hollywood re- remake. I'm ex- Starring Tom Cruise as the Go Compare, man. I'm waiting for the Go Compare multiverse. <laughs> oh, my word. Enter, like, oh, enter oh, the insurance verse. Yes. And it's... <laughs> fucking remember, dig up a corpse of Michael Winner for the eShow advert and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and like the bad guy is Winston Wolf. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who's trying who's trying to kidnap the Churchill dog. Yeah. And it turns out that well the whole mystery is where did the uh, direct line red telephone go? And it turns out Winston Wolf kidnaps it. <laughs> so you've like got the Admiral Seagull who like flying over and trying to wonder what the fuck's going on. Yeah. I would so be there for a car insurance themed movie. <laughs> I would be. <laughs> for anyone who's not from the UK is going to wonder what the hell we're on about. Yep. <laughs> if uh, any producers uh, of film are listening, uh, I can write that script. <laughs> and it'll be just as good as you imagine it will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need to write that. Yeah, I'm sort of obligated to now. <laughs> You've been looking for a new project. I have been, yeah. I've been. Final draft has been gathering up dust for a couple of years now. If we've got the direct line car in it, are we going to have a car chase? Of course we are, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. A homage to, well, this podcast, where there's a car chase in every single one, set in the modern day. Unless it involves a mule that kicks footballs. Yeah, so this film technically not set in the modern day, but will it have a car chase? Well, we'll have to wait and see. It's 1907, there's no cars. There is a car. There's a car I mean, in the film? I mean, well, I thought it was a train. 
No, there is a vi- there is a motor uh, vehicle on the road. I, I remember the scene now, but I thought it was a train. <laughs> a train with no windows or walls or... Exactly. Yeah, yes. all right. <laughs> so, shall we get into the film? Yeah, I'll let you kick off. It's your film. Sure. So, we're introduced to Professor Iverson. Hey, 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 hey. You're getting ahead of yourself. Oh, the credits. Yes. We've got to talk about the credits. Um, wasn't really much to this also I was expecting some sort of animated like mountains and volcanoes but it was just in front of a blurry background if I remember rightly or was it a mountain just text so it's interesting that you didn't think that much of the credits because I quite liked them if they were fine it's just obviously <laughs> what we've come to expect from without a mouse is some sort of wacky animation going on yeah so for yeah this is a rare case where the opening credits weren't animated um it's basically some painted backdrops which are obviously gonna come in later into the you know it's setting up the the sort of locations what really stuck out for me was that it's got some quite good sort of even though this was the 70s, it's a, th- a soundtrack as well that harks back to an earlier sort of period. I was going to say it does hark back to classic Hollywood, just the whole yeah. setup of it. I it's mean, it's very dramatic, isn't it? The music. Yeah, and, and I think there is a bit like one in the film where I point out, but the soundtrack here is very good. Yeah, um, and I did notice as soon straight away, I was really enjoying the uh, the score over the. Um, opening credits and then during the credits there was a it was in really big writing um it says that music composed and conducted by maurice jar um and it was a big font and they were obviously very proud of the soundtrack and and, yeah. and i totally was like yeah i can understand why because i'm enjoying it already and it was getting me pumped for this film yes so i agree you saying oh, oh it's not that it was good it was good chris it needed like a sheet of ice falling off a mountain, like all animated. <laughs> we, get, uh, we get that in the film, it's uh, all right. A few Batman style like kabooms and pals and all, <laughs> all this stuff. You know, that's what I expect from my mid budget Disney films now. Yeah, there were no um, flying superheroes animated over the painted <laughs> backdrops this no. time. No casual doodles. No. So, anyway, <laughs> Professor Iverson. Sorry. Yeah, so. Um, we're introduced to him, and he goes to the house of... I didn't catch his... Sir first. Anthony. Sir Anthony. I, I think I've got his down as Ross, but I think that's his surname. So yeah. Sir Anthony Ross um, goes to his house, and they sort of establish right away that there's going to be an expedition of the Arctic. Yes, but Professor Iverson has not technically been invited. He's sort of forced into... But the, the British ambassador phones him to say that the papers and his transport to Norway have all been sorted and all of this. Um, so he just turns up at Sir Anthony's house and Sir Anthony's just like, yeah, you're going on an expedition with me. Come on. Yeah. And he's a bit like, what? There's quite a bit of this in the film. Yeah. A bit of a coercion, shall we say. Yep. Sir Anthony likes to get shit done by just doing it and not asking. He he doesn't ask first. He uh, apologises later and then doesn't apologise. And casually kidnaps as well. Yes. Yes. But he's, we'll... a bit, he's a bit of a prick for a main character, but is, I like yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll get on to the casual kidnapping uh, very shortly. Yeah. So the uh, mission uh, in the Antarctic is to find uh, Sir David's son, who has gone missing. Sir who? What did I say? Not David Ross. S- Who's David? S- Anthony Ross. Who's David? <laughs> I don't know. Not a clue. <laughs> I'm sure there's a David in here somewhere. Don't think there's a Donald. 
That's probably it. Oh my god, is this the first week where I remember everybody's name and you don't? Yeah, you know what, in all fairness, um, well, I'll explain why soon, but I didn't note down any names all right. for, for, for most part. <laughs> okay. And, like, halfway through, I thought, shit, I'm a squad for IMDb, and I was trying to match faces to the profile pictures, yes. which is a bit hard, because uh, most of them look completely different on their IMDb profiles. That's the thing, isn't it? Because Disney actors tend to have been around for so, like, decades and decades, yeah. the pictures can be 40 years older than what you just seen in the film yeah or sometimes or younger, or younger yeah <laughs> <laughs> so before or after it's never that period where i guess it wasn't like the uh high point of our careers yeah doing like a mid-budget disney film so yeah there's a sort of 60 year old journal page yes um from someone else's previous expedition that uh, sir anthony's got hold of um which is talking about the uh, the graveyard of wales which is an island where um eskimos dare not travel Ivanson begins by sort of refusing the trip, but then Sir Anthony pulls out his bone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he whips out his bone for all to yeah. see. I, I, I've put on giant spanner. <laughs> yeah, it's basically a carved whale bone, um, which it, is obviously some key to finding um, the location of this particular island. It, it looks like the sort of thing Neil Buchanan made on Art Attack. Yeah, it's not the most elegant of props, not but really. it's supposed to have been made by Eskimos, and, you know, so it's. It's supposed to be rustic. Yes. But the note that I made for the opening was that, like all of the other Disney films we've watched, typically speedy opening. But I think, unlike a lot of the other ones, this does an excellent job of sort of explaining what's going on. It does. Um, It does a really good job of introducing characters, and you can already sort of see the characteristics. I think the introduction of Iverson was a bit clunky, because... Uh, Sir Anthony, it is Anthony, isn't it? Definitely Sir Anthony, David. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sir Anthony basically does like a great big exposition dump. Yes, uh, ah, you're, you're the lecturer of the University of Christiania. Yeah. Uh, you're from Massachusetts, blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah. You know, your favourite sport is darts, you know. <laughs> you just put it all out there right away, which I guess gets it out of the way quickly, but. Yeah, it's the first couple of minutes you do have to pay attention. You do, but at the same time, what what tends to happen with these films is they speed through the plot, but they don't explain anything. Mm. Whereas at least it was doing a very, you know, it was smacking you over the head with the plot, but at least it was doing it. I think what it does well is it speeds through at the beginning and then it slows into a very nice pace later on. And yeah, I think, exactly, yeah. think it's necessary that they do this here. It gets the jargon out of the way first so that we can go on an adventure. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So the bone with the red marks on it points to the island, as you say, which is in the middle of nowhere, you know. Yeah. It's in a place where man's hardly ever been. They're looking at these plans on Sir Anthony's boat. Or is it yeah. a train? No, I think it's a boat. And... Professor Iverson doesn't realise that the boat's been moving all along. Yeah. He's basically being kidnapped. Yeah, he's not been given a chance to say yes or no. Uh, Sir Anthony's just gone with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just nicked him, you know, casually away, heading uh, towards France. And um, Iverson kind of mentions that France isn't the most direct route to Greenland, but Sir Anthony has a plan. He does. It involves Captain Bleo and his massive blimp. Or Zeppelin. It's the vehicle that we mentioned earlier on in Yesterday Land. So, how would you describe this Zeppelin? It's to me, it looks like a steampunk rendition of Hindenburg. Yeah, it does. It's um, kind of almost contoured. 
the yeah. actual balloon. It's sort of streamlined almost. It's like a stealth zeppelin. Yes. Um, but in true sort of Victorian steampunky speculative fiction way, it's got it's very brightly coloured and got a funky design on it. Mm. Almost looks like uh, it's got like it's like mouth open it's got big teeth it does yeah and um, but then hanging oh sorry that's my phone yeah and now, then i really like the design and this is i think it's just this vehicle is the whole reason why this is set in 1907 because exactly it, yeah. it, it, it'd look fucking daft if it was like 1965 and like people stuck in london traffic looking up and there's a giant blimp well moving in, past them in the original novel apparently they travel by helicopter and obviously, yeah. that's not quite as exciting, even from the sixties perspective. It's a bit boring, you know, isn't it? A helicopter's quite a you know trustworthy mode of transport, I guess. So yeah. I think I think moving back in time to get a blimp in was a good idea. Oh yeah, considering what follows is feels very timeless anyway. Yeah, you know we're, we're about to go somewhere where you're probably not going to get mobile phone reception, shall we say? <laughs> yeah. So Captain Bleo. Um, well, as is typical in Disney films, it's a guy putting on an accent. He's yeah, not really he's French. defo not French. No, it, it's slight hello hello, but I think we'll let him get away with it. Yeah. Again, we've seen far more horrendously <laughs> offensive stuff in this podcast so far. To so. be fair, after one of the dinosaurs is missing, I don't care what sort of accents they put on, as long as, you know, if they don't put on lampshades and, you know, start pulling their eyes at, uh, <laughs> at eyelids apart, then, you know, yeah. we're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it turns out again with Sir Anthony being not the best at communicating with others, his plans, um, he hasn't told, um, the captain who's built the Zeppelin, um, what they're going to be using it for. (laughs) So, um, which I really thought was almost like a plot hole because the captain is very angry to find out that the plans are to take it to the North Pole because he doesn't think that the it's got the capabilities to do so. And I think that is a very legitimate argument because you need a lot of extra shit going on. To- you do. Surely, if you're Sir Anthony, you've, you're paying the guy to fly it. You tell him to make sure he's got the blimp up to the right specifications to manage this sort of thing. Yeah, and as well, the actual living space under the balloon is basically just a train carriage. Mm. So is completely not weatherproof for travelling in sub-zero conditions. Yeah. I, I sort of understand why he sort of tricked Professor Iverson a bit, because obviously yeah. he, he's a professor in all that, like he's got all these other things going on and, you know, is is wanting to go to Norway, yeah. whereas uh, Captain Blair, you know, it's his job to fly to places in his blimp, so surely you inform him of everything that you yeah. need. Because essentially they're gonna, they'll die if they're not careful yeah, because of his not communicating the plans and obviously the reasoning was so that then the captain can't refuse but yeah so bear in mind we're only 10 minutes in here and they're about to launch a ship now i got a cold sweat for a minute because on the field you know because it's like in a field somewhere in france yeah there were two children there standing by and i was thinking shit are they gonna sneak onto a ship and be part of this plot oh and turn into precocious little pricks like in all the other children that we've seen in these films but mercifully i think this is the first ever film where it's Cut to some children, and they've not done anything with it. Thank God. Yeah, the whole point of that was because the captain wanted to plan a whole sort of celebration and parade for the maiden voyage, and they didn't. And so it's kind of supposed to be funny because there's literally just two kids that are herding some sheep yeah. that turn up, which was pretty funny. Yeah, but yeah, I see where you were, why you would be worried. <laughs> um, I, I liked as well the bit where um, uh, Sir Anthony basically says to the captain. 
that he won't get paid for the journey, but he will obviously be involved in this historic voyage. <laughs> and I was like, this guy is clearly a millionaire. Like, he's had this, he's commissioned this fucking blimp. How how has he not got the money to pay the captain to fly it? This is the modern day equivalent of, hi, can you write this? You know, we can't afford to pay you, but it's good for exposure. You know? Yeah, this is literal exposure yeah. 1907 <laughs> time. You'll end up, <laughs> we can't pay you, but there'll be a good picture of you in the paper. <laughs> oh, this, yeah, I love that line just because it sounded so modern. <laughs> uh, yeah, so off we go. Yeah. And instead of children, we get a nice doggo on board instead. Yeah, we've got a little miniature poodle called Josephine. A definite upgrade from children. And Sir Anthony's really pissed off that he's been duped by not knowing that the poodle's there. And it's like, you've already fucked everyone else over far worse than having a poodle on board. He's literally just got a captain to fly to the North Pole for exposure. (laughs) He'll he'll fucking get exposure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, so they haven't got time to take Josephine back, which is pissed off Sir Anthony, but tough. Yeah, um, and I, the note I made as well, good good visual effects. I thought, yes, I think, but I could be wrong. But for the actual takeoff, it did look like they had a balloon. I couldn't be certain. It it didn't look like a green screen. No, I don't think it was. It, that's probably what's at Disneyland Paris now. It could be, yeah, yeah because um, there are scenes later where, um, obviously it was model work and you can see the strings, mm. so th- for it to not look like a green screen and not have strings, I did honestly think, it might not have been full size, but it did look like a, pra- a completely practical yeah. shot. I said, I, I get a feeling that's what's in the park now. It could be, yeah, because, yeah. well I did see a reference saying that it's the biggest prop that is... In any of the Disney parks, or at least it was in the 90s when it was put up. So it could have been screen used, actually. Yeah, yeah sure. And Which makes begs the question where they put it from 1974 to 1990. Where, where would you store it? <laughs> in, in the same warehouse as Walt Disney's brain. Yeah. <laughs> Just stored away nicely in a freezer somewhere. Maybe it's still in the Hyperion itself. Oh, could be. So, in six hours, they managed to reach Dover, which... Isn't very far, it's 150 miles or so. You can go by boat in about a third of that time, less than a third of that yeah. time. And it's because Captain Blair is not putting it up full speed. Quite rightly, he's already worried that the ship's just going to fall apart if it got full speed because, hey, we've got to get to the North Pole yet. You know, yeah. We've got to reserve all the energy that we can. Yep. But uh, Sir Anthony, being uh, stubborn as he is, he turns everything up to full power. And of course, the propeller snaps off. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, so they have to change it in midair because they're above the water. Mm. Pretty good visual scene of the captain sort of hanging from a rope trying to put it on. I, I quite liked it. It did. As, as someone who's got a qualification, an IOSH managing safely qualification, <laughs> this put me out in a cold sweat. The knot that was tied around his waist, I was sceptical yeah. of its use. Let's say. Can you imagine the risk assessment on this thing? <laughs> it's 1907, Chris. We ain't got no risk assessments, but bloody nor if we did. Like risk times likelihood. Bloody hell, it goes up to five. It'd be like seven times 21. The risk assessment wouldn't have got past we're going to fly to Greenland in a train carriage. True, true, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut it down. And it's here that we, I didn't realise there was a fourth guy on board as well. Yeah, the mechanic. Yeah. 
He just pops up out of nowhere. He's just he's just hiding in the uh, in the rafters. They're <laughs> like the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna make a Veskin reference there, but wrong podcast. <laughs> I did like um the captain had a good line where he's like, Only an idiot would attempt such a thing. I'll do it myself. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. A pretty amazing cell phone. Yeah. Um, so we finally get to Greenland. And <laughs> whilst they're flying, we see them uh, visibly getting a bit cold now that they're in Greenland. So they literally just put their coat on yeah. and everything's fine. And it's a bit like literally, it you know, it's not an expedition for the Arctic kind of coat. It's not fur lined. It's literally just your jacket. <laughs> Global warming for you. It's the kind of thing I'd wear to go out in town in Grimsby yeah. and still be cold. Yeah. So we get a bit of stock footage of polar bears and all that lot, as, as you'd expect. Yeah, they're watching wildlife from above, aren't they? And then is this a bit where we get Captain Blair's little trick shot through the polar ice cap with a massive hole in the middle of it? Yeah, he goes. Uh, he plays a bit of big break, doesn't he? Yeah, he with does. <laughs> with the Hyperion. Um, and, and yeah, he's, he's flying in and out of icebergs and... The, the film does one of those funny things where it answers the question you have in your own head. Because I was like, why the hell is he not just flying over the icebergs? And Sir Anthony then, straight away as I was thinking it, then goes, why are you flying through all the icebergs? And uh, the captain says it's easier to control through there, which was like bullshit. He's showing off. <laughs> he really is. But it looked fun. Yeah. I... I'm surprised I've not seen this fortune though, when you like get a montage of like sexual innuendo, so like a train driving through a tunnel and a hamster <laughs> through his tube. Yeah, Captain Blair driving a blimp through an ice cap. A dirigible through an ice sheet, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they finally touch down and uh, in front of a few of the natives, so yep. loads of Eskimos, like a community of them. Yep. And they run away from the blimp at first big giant scary monster i suppose but um one of them who can understand what's going on communicates with uh, like Sir, uh and all that lot and we managed to get the ship pulled down and yep. tied up they, they go for a bit of inuit bell ringing is what i put because yeah. they're all sort of like hanging from the ropes trying to oh pull yeah it down. that's quite funny as well <laughs> yeah how um, many eskimos are I inuits because I, I, I started writing inuits then we started saying eskimos so i changed it I think Eskimo is the term you're not supposed to say anymore. Really? I'm pretty sure. It's just we didn't know that. I'll double check. But I think it's one of those things where like, the uh, white guys call them Eskimos, whereas they've never called themselves Eskimos. So it's more appropriate to call them Inuits, I think. Okay. I will double check. There's a good green word like greenies or green bearings. Yeah, if I'm a yellow belly in Grimsby, surely there'll be green bellies. Yeah. Let's call them green bellies. Right, so yes, uh, Inuit is the correct term. Okay. Well, at least I was sort of correct when I went to 1974 standards, and yeah. now I'm a massive racist. That's the thing. Um, we're, for 1907, every every bugger would be calling them Eskimos. So, yeah. And they call them Eskimos in the film, but they are technically Inuits. Okay. So which one are we going to go for? I'll leave that up to you. Okay. Send all complaints I'm, I'm, to uh, twitter.com slash timplesrh. <laughs> I'm going to leave it up to you which you use, but I'm going to judge your um, vote for the recent EU election on your answer. <laughs> so the bloody foreigners time <laughs> went down. <laughs> 
I'm guessing you did vote today. I did, yes. Good, so did I. Yep. Right. Who did you vote for? I voted for the Yorkshire party. Yorkshire! 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 <laughs> That's my favourite little quirk of British <laughs> politics, is that you can, even though we're not in Yorkshire, we're the Yorkshire party was on the ballot for uh, Scather. Do you think there's like the Rutland party? Have you ever heard of Rutland, like the smallest county in all of England? No. It's like, literally, I think it's just um, south of Link- Hogger Lincolnshire. Uh, it's 18 mile, square miles long. Wow. And, uh, yeah. I bet there's a Rutland party. There will be, yeah. And they they always get voted in because it's the only other person in the uh, <laughs> in the county. Uh, I'll vote for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, we got to Greenland. We meet Umiak, the fearless one, who is... Who was the guide for Sir Anthony's son, Donald. Yeah, I did not get that name down, by the way. I got it from IMDb. I, I did not. I can't remember. I think remember they said it. it. They do They do say it a couple of times, but yeah, I, I had to look for the spelling. Yes. Um. So he is... Uh, so Sir Anthony and Iverson tried to talk to Umiak, and Sir Anthony is just being a right stubborn prick about it. Mm. And... Uh, Basically, he's like a Brit abroad. Yeah. Like, how do you know my son? Tell me about where, how you did it and shit. And it's just, whereas... So yeah, it's a type that goes on holiday to Benidorm. Yeah, definitely. And then complains that no one spoke English. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, Iverson is a bit more sympathetic um, and tries to sort of flatter Umiak because obviously... Knowing that he's called the fearless one, he tries to say, "Oh, like you're famous around my parts. We mm. need to, uh, we'd like to know how this works." And then uh, Iverson whips out his bone again <laughs> to show off to Umiak. So he's called the fearless one, but do you think the other Inuits were just taking a piss out of him? Yeah, because he's apparently shit scared of going to the whale graveyard. Yeah, so no, never once does he come across as fearless. He comes across as clueless and shit scared. Yeah, I think this is one of those disconnects between script and uh, direction isn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and yeah so umiak says that there were evil spirits that attacked them when they went to this elef- uh, i keep wanting to say elephant graveyard like out of the lion king <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um the sea elephant graveyard yeah so they, he lost donald in the panic and there's nothing on earth that would make him go back um, so then that's when Sir Anthony comes up with the plan of letting Umiak look around inside the Hyperion um, and then basically once he's on board they fly off with him kidnapped yeah fucking another kidnapping yeah so Sir Anthony is basically the embodiment of Victorian middle class Britain yep. in that he thinks he should be entitled to do whatever the fuck he wants to anyone that's not British. Or I, even people that are Brit- Well, Iverson is American, which we've obviously said. So yeah, anyone that's not British, he'll just do whatever he likes to. Yeah, just kidnap him. I think maybe he's just a bit shit at it, though. He's not learned yet, but you need to write a ransom note. <laughs> yeah, at least leave a receipt for what you've kidnapped. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> get something out of it. You're just kidnapping people here for no reason. Oh, and because they're kidnapping him, they're going to leave the mechanic behind. Yeah. Who we never see or hear of again. Yeah, so... Yeah, because at the end of... Yeah. Yeah, so... Poor mechanic. Yeah. He's probably, like, there on top of a mountain right now, like a frozen body. 
there's a funny exchange then because obviously the mechanic has been left out, so the captain has to boss Sir Anthony about to go and do menial work because they've lost the labourer. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Which was fair enough. Yeah, that's what he gets, basically. Yeah. And then we float across, and I'm right in thinking, because we're getting to a point of, like, somewhere that hasn't really been discovered yet by, say, humans, but shall we say Western civilization. That all the different animals from the different parts of the Antarctic are all converging together. Yeah, so we see beluga whales, we see California greys, we see narwhals. Um, and so Where we see a black smoke monster. A what? You've not seen Lost, have you? I, I did, but not for very long. <laughs> well, apparently the, the theory on Lost was that the island was forever moving. Because there was one point where I'm sure like Jack punched the shit out of a polar bear. Yes, I remember a polar bear because one of the the kid had it in his comic book. Yep. I remember that. Um, yeah, but I think the, 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 the theory was the island was moving around, so right. you could never locate it. Uh, and hence why all sorts of weird creatures end up on there. Yeah, so basically, because they're seeing everyone... Oh, sorry. Tired. Yeah, so because we saw everything moving in the same direction, it does look like the theory of it being a whale graveyard is accurate. And Oh, and one of the things that the original journal post had mentioned was um, that there was a lone cloud as if lying on the ice, and they see it as they're approaching. Yes, and hidden beneath the cloud, an entire island... Apparently, yeah. yeah. And the captain says he's not going to go through the cloud because um, basically he doesn't, you know, he'll be flying blind and he doesn't know what will yeah. happen. Yeah, it's dangerous. So Servan is like, oh, bloody elf and safety. Yeah, so... They fly through it. Yeah, I can't <laughs> remember. I've forgotten to write down they, why. They, but... they fly through it. No, because uh, oh. Servan Ser bosses him into doing it and then they fly right into a thunderstorm. They fly straight into a thunderstorm and then crash into a mountain. Well done, Servan you bellend. <laughs> yeah, so um, Iverson, Sir Anthony and Umiak all get thrown out whilst the Hyperion crashes down a mountain so we don't know what happened to the captain. And there's this bit, like, they sort of dust themselves off and then just carry on on foot as if nothing's happened. Yeah, it was just like, oh well, um, I think it's that way. And again, they're all just in their coats and absolutely fine with these sub-zero temperatures in a snowstorm. Were they even wearing gloves? No, they didn't have gloves, they didn't have anything to cover their faces, and I understand that's, you know, from a film you can't hide your actors' faces away, but honestly, it was so weird to just watch them not... Just watch them be absolutely fine. Yeah. Frostbite didn't exist back then. They look like three teachers that have like come out for a sig on snow day. Like <laughs> they didn't look like they're on an Arctic expedition at all. No, no, definitely not. And here we get—I can't remember his name already. Umiak. Thank you. Um, he goes on about how he fought a bear. Yes. And uh, as for, and after they say that, they come across. All sorts of geographical wonders. So there's mountains, there's a volcano. Oh, look, there's a settlement over there. Yep. It's very weird. Like, everywhere they turn, it's like a completely different location. Yeah. Like, one bit's, like, very snowy and stormy, and the other bit looks very idyllic and green. Yeah, so they're looking down at this fertile land, which is obviously where the uh, there's inhabited by people. Um and they get kidnapped by some Vikings. Yeah, now the shoes on the other foot, isn't it, Sir Anthony? So I quite liked looking up after watching the film. They actually hired um, Nordic actors. Basically, Iverson says that the Vikings are speaking Old Norse, but they are actually speaking modern, I think it was uh, 
Swiss, not Swiss, Norwegian. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, that's a nice touch actually. I, I did wonder about that um, because they look a bit different from like usual Hollywood actors, if you know what I mean. Like they're a lot bigger and yeah, stronger and blonder as well. You know, those weren't bleach jobs, that's for sure, and they weren't wigs and very pale skinned as well. So yes. you know, they weren't just hired help from Hollywood. Like, yeah, um, and also I thought that the you know we didn't have any. Um, lame sort of Viking costumes with horns on. Like, it looked pretty legit. Yeah. It, it, they, Even for the 70s, I thought it was not over the top. Yeah, for a, a mid-budget Disney film as well, it looked pretty authentic. I was uh, quite impressed with that. Yeah. And uh, I, I will shoehorn in there. It's all getting a bit Game of Thrones, but I've never seen Game of Thrones, so well, I'm not sure yeah, we go, what it looks like. They get transported to the city of Astrogra. Astrogard, sorry, which means Garden of the Gods. And it kind of, what I said is it was a cross between Edoras and Lake Town from the Tolkien films. Yeah. Because it's got the sort of big Nordic structures like Edoras, but then it's also built on a lakeside. Mm. So it, it did, it looked visually quite good. That holiday there. Oh, definitely. Yeah. On the way to Astrograd, Umiak tries to stab someone. So he's held sort of more captive yeah. than the others who just, explain their situation. Just to point out, this is the bear that he's on about. Turns out it's more like bear-like, as in bear. A big, hairy man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the gay term. But I, was I, just gonna... try, I just wanted to try and explain it a bit less long term. The, the gay bear, not yes. the... Uh, yeah. Not the bear bear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very impressed that you've heard of a bear, Chris. Well done. Mm. Pornhub.com for all that information. <laughs> you so, just, just got an LGBT point. Well done. Yay, I've got one point. <laughs> <laughs> so because Sir Anthony and Iverson warned before, can't remember his name again. Umiak. Umiak, 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 I should remember that. Uh, suddenly they trust... <laughs> that would have been really funny if he just popped in front of you, like, because you said his name three times. <laughs> yeah. Like Umiak, Beetlejuice. Umiak, Umiak. <laughs> So they win their trust by warning them of Umiak about to stab him, but also somehow it wins the trust of Umiak as well. Yeah, it's all a bit odd. This yeah, but I mean, I think they keep him handcuffed and don't yeah. trust him that much, but they allow him to continue on with the group anyway. It's a bit, bit weird, but whatever. Yeah, and their first stop is um, Donald's house, because uh, there's a crowd outside, and basically Donald has been taken... Oh, there's a lady called Freya outside and her yep. father. Um, and Freya can speak English because Donald's taught it to her. Yeah. Um, the only female role and only female speaking part of the whole film, by the way. Yeah. And she's the only one out of this something that can speak English. Yes, that's very not, true. Not bad going, I guess. In fact, do we actually see anybody else that's female? In the crowd shots. Yeah, a couple of... A, a couple, couple of crowd, crowd shots, but literally no other character, no other speaking part. Yeah, and they she explains that Donald's been taken by Godas, who is the high priest. Uh, the Goda, sorry. Yeah. Um, and the Goda... He's been kidnapped as well. They're all bloody kidnapped. Yeah, and the reason being that the Goda believes that um, Sir Anthony's expedition, the Hyperion was an omen and that they're invaders, so he's holding Donald responsible. And then, yeah, we all get taken to the city... Um, Umiak jumps off the bridge into the lake and gets instantly harpooned. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and it gets around that he's just like... Oh, well. <laughs> he had a good run. <laughs> yeah. Surrounded, he don't give a shit. No. And here, 
Iverson starts to talk about this city quite admirably because yeah. his background as well has been professor and all this other stuff. He's, he's an archaeologist, yeah. easy enough to say. Um, that's his profession, his passion, yeah. his everything. And he's just so impressed with all this Viking architecture and artifacts all being used in the modern day. Yeah, because it's basically they've been cut off from civilization, so they are maybe about you know a millennia behind, pretty much. Yeah, looking very vi- traditional Viking. Um, I know they don't have mobile phones though, so maybe they have more advanced. <laughs> There's a helicopter hidden behind uh, in the mountain, maybe like a Bond villain, <laughs> like just a quick getaway. Yeah, maybe, no. maybe this is like a Colton, like you know, a guy just like runs off and bags some money in a helicopter. Just off screen, there's four Cadillacs ready for the car chase that's going to come <laughs> up later. <laughs> but yeah, so they get taken to the Viking Council inside the volcano, and it looks pretty cool. There's like giant statues of the gods, and um, fire everywhere. Really look, really liked this set. Yeah, I did. I mean, a lot of it is. This is a bit green screen obviously because there's just so much of it yeah but it's probably the most elaborate staging of the whole film i'd say yep and donald turns up oh, yeah dear. um basically same beard and same haircut as his dad yeah um just and, a bit more fresh-faced yeah and sir anthony tries to explain to the council that they're just here to take donald it's not a big omen but the goda calls them liars and says that they should be condemned without a trial well, it's for one guy, and I didn't get his name of him either. You know, it sort of looks like a lion, but after it snorted a bag of coke from the looks of it. Is <laughs> that, like, you know, got, got like streak hair and all that lot. I, I didn't catch his name, but yeah, so he's the one that says, no trial, kill him now. Yeah. Pass the, me more coke. The gods have spoken kind of thing. The gods have spoken. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it was at this point that I was I was thinking, you know, this society could do with a bit of a separation between church and state, really. <laughs> just just like other civilizations we know, yes, and uh, won't won't discuss on this, uh, you know, Disney themed podcast. We, we won't name them, but basically all of them. <laughs> yeah, so um, we they get going to get burned at the stake on a longboat on the water, and Donald's missus rocks up and saves them. Yeah, um, Freya um, saves the day here and unties the three of them. And because there's a lot of smoke going around, because I think they're tied at the stake and we're going to fire fiery uh, bows, uh, arrows at them. Yeah. And because of there's all sorts of smoke, there's another smoke screen there for them yep. to get away. So they get into a little rowboat. Um, and then they're chased by a longboat. And again, brilliant practical effect. This is a real-life boat that's been, you know, uh, rowed by a good 20 people with yep. oars. Loved it. The important question is, does this constitute a car chase? <laughs> it's definitely a vehicle chase. It is, yeah. This is this is a 1907 Viking car chase. Ah, it's got to count, hasn't it? I'd say so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a good dramatic score again in this bit. Really percussive, and there's sort of like metallic noises whilst it's going on very industrial and it really raises the tension it does um they but obviously they still escape and the, they run and hide the missus buys them some time by um basically running back to the boat yep and they managed to find a cave oh and by the way oh shit i've already forgotten his name again umiak umiak thank you Umiak is alive and well. Yeah, they just basically needed to write him out of the last scene, didn't they? So he's back yeah. now. So they're in the cave, unharpooned, by the way. <laughs> yeah, 
the harpoon mist. Um, yeah, he's not got one like stuck through his stomach for the rest of the film. <laughs> Although that would have been amazing. Yeah, that would have been a good fe- effect. Yeah, so they're in the cave. Um, Sir Anthony apologises for being too forceful to Donald in the past. Because um, basically, Sir, Donald, Sir Anthony reckons Donald's run away to this place because he was trying to get him to like the same things as him and stuff. Um, but Donald's absolutely cool. He just wants to follow Sir Anthony yeah. anyway into the family business. Yeah, uh, this was a very nice scene, actually. Yeah, it's the kind of scene you wouldn't get in any of the other films we've watched, like proper character development. Yeah, proper attempts at emotion and having a heart-to-heart, so I really enjoyed it. And it doesn't really affect the plot either. It is literally just to develop the characters, which yeah. is nice. Um, and it is nice for once that... Someone's come to rescue someone else, and they've appreciated it. Yeah, he's he's fine and happy to be taken home. It's not. Yeah, they yeah. don't do the switch where I'm happy here and. Yeah, if there's no like. This is my life, Dad. There's no million dollar duck ungratefulness going on. Yeah, so Freya rocks up as well, and her dad's going to help them escape. But then boats turn up, um, and dogs, and the goader. So they decide to climb the mountain. Yeah, the chase continues into the volcano. (laughs) And then there's this hilarious bit where the boats can't find them, so they go to leave. Then Sir Anthony slips and like half the mountain falls down. (laughs) So they all suddenly see where they are and chase them again. (laughs) I thought that was brilliant. Bloody hell, Sir Anthony. What are you doing on? And then we uh, escape through the snow to some volcanoes. Yep, for a quick impromptu game of Frogger. Yeah, there's smokestacks and lava pits to avoid. Um, visually, really, really looks the part. Um, yeah. Smoke and fake lava pits and everything going yeah. on. I'll say a game of Frogger, more like a game of a floor is made of actual lava. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then the plan becomes to let's escape to the Bay of Wales because the Vikings don't dare go near it. So that's the best place to hide till you know the till the coast is clear and then go back to um, Freya's house. Yep. Um, and then whilst they're escaping through the volcano, there is a full blown eruption. Mm. And again, some really cool sort of lava flow effects. Basically, they've stitched various stock footage of lava flowing over the top, but it yeah, kind of works. It did. I There's only a couple of light infractions I saw where I saw, okay, I can see where they've cut it together. Yeah. But it's quite an impressive feat what they've done. Imagine to make it look like that the likes of Sir Anthony were actually running away from lava. They did a really good job here. Yeah. And so they do escape the lava because, of course, they do. Then Umiak has the plan of if we basically, if they get to the whale graveyard, then they can travel on a small ice sheet and row it back to Freya's dad's house. Yeah. But everyone else is like, that's a daft idea. Why would we do that? Yeah, it's all a bit. The, the planning side of things gets a bit convoluted at this point in the film, doesn't it? I thought. Well, I think at this point we're just trying to improvise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's that's the reason why. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, they, they they finally get to the whale graveyard, and it, I thought it was pretty horrific to be fair, because it's literally just littered with the corpses of whales. Not very Disney, is it? No. Yeah. It, usually it's like, oh well, a field of gold. Oh well, it's a land full of candy here. And, yeah, Dead whales. Well, I mean, again, going back to the Lion King elephant graveyard. 
yes, there's uh, bones of dead elephants, but this literally had like full blown rotting corpses of whales just laid about. It looked as though someone had like sheared the whales in two and just yeah. like split apart the carcass, just left it laying there. And it was literally just a matte painting that we're looking at, but it was still just like a very like oh. That's that's not what I was expecting. Kind of shot, quite grotesque for yeah. Disney. And uh, obviously, Sir Anthony sees dollar signs because he's thinking of the ambergris and all of the uh, bones that he could sell. And it's yeah. like, yeah, how the fuck? You don't even know how you're getting your cell phone, mate. Mm. How you? So yeah, again, Sir Anthony being as British as possible, looking at how he can exploit all of these surroundings for profit. For profit, yeah, yep, definitely British. The chase sort of continues because. The Vikings have dared to keep going in chasing them. Yep. So the our gang has to like climb down some ice stairs, as it were, which is a nice visual. But while they're doing that, the Vikings find a rather large rock, which they manage to play apart using the swords, and it causes a bit of a landslide. When they were stood at the top looking down the stairs, it looked like a matte painting Yeah. until they actually walked down it, and I was like, oh, Right, this is a real set. Uh, but it was very sort of spherical, and I have the feeling it might have been an old um, satellite telescope. Oh, yeah, okay. Laid down, and then they'd filled it with rocks and things. Right, yeah. Because there's a spherical hole right in the centre that they then escape through. So I think that's how they did it. It was in a big sort of satellite dish. Yeah, that sounds really cool, actually. I think that's probably what happened, but it looked really good. It did, yes. Um, yeah, but I'd say the whole thing about this film, apart from like maybe a couple of strings, John, like the miniature like model shots which I, I love that sort of thing anyway you know I, yeah i love model I, shots I, i'd rather have that than like bloody drawings on a computer you know yeah, any day. i'd rather have that handcrafted element to it anyway but exactly. other than that considering some of the other effects we've seen in other films so far this is by far the best effort we've put into it yeah you, you can know. tell that there was some there was some dollar dropped on this film. There was, yeah. Definitely compared to some of the shit we've seen. Yeah, I mean, this looked better than like Black Hole, and that was all sorts of special effects and had a bit of higher budget as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Vikings drop the boulder into the ice cave that they've got into, um, and so it causes like a big um, sort of tidal wave, and the walls are crashing in, and so they're escaping through that, and there's a big splash, um, and they finally follow the water out to the exit. Um, and then end up, as Umiak suggested, rowing an ice sheet down past... And they're using whale bones as, as oars, which yep. is pretty cool. <laughs> and then the best bit of the whole film, they're attacked by killer whales. Yeah, but I'll say, I think whales are a bit pissed off at the minute. Yeah, the like, whales are like, get out of our sacred space, you... Stop using my uncle's arms to row. <laughs> yeah, and... Um, my my first thought as the killer whale was swimming up was like, oh, this is quite a practical effect. And then literally it looked like someone threw the, like an inflatable <laughs> killer whale at someone's head. Like it was really, it kept changing. Each shot was different. One shot looked really good and then the next shot looked like something I could have filmed. I wasn't sure what we did here, but it was definitely shots where they probably went to SeaWorld or somewhere like that. Yeah, there's a couple of shots of real killer whales, then which makes the prosthetic look even yeah. worse. Like, And since it's SeaWorld, we've got our weekly animal abuse in there. So, yeah, fantastic. We, we had to get it in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. It's like we should have our own like little segment of like a jingle and everything. But my absolute favourite uh, shot was there's one where a killer whale flies over one of them's head and literally slaps them with its tail. <sighs> and it just 
that Kirsty was actually watching at this point and the pair of us wet ourselves at that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, it kind of brought the energy up and was a good, good it little did, scene. Yeah. I mean, this was like the action scene of a, yeah. of a film, you know, in terms of like the closest thing we get to anything quite violent, really. Yeah. Be nice. And just as it looks like they're about to be eaten by the killer whale, there's a loud bang and it turns out that the captain is was absolutely fine all along, and he's stood there with his shotgun. It's convenient, but it's been set up well. Yeah, so they they're all reunited. So they they in true British fashion, they sit and have a cup of tea out in the snow. <laughs> yeah, just sat around a picnic table. That'll warm them up. Yeah, it's just like again, they're out in the. <laughs> you just like. How do you still have fingers? Yeah, they, nobody seems to be bothered that they're out in, uh, you know, minus 40 degrees or whatever. Um, and then the captain's plan is that they're going to have to reduce the weight of the uh, dirigible by basically getting rid of absolutely everything that mm. they can afford. Yeah, to point out, there's now going to be six people on the ship. I mean, don't forget the mechanic who we've not seen or heard of ever since. Yeah. Uh, had to be left behind because they couldn't fit five people. Now they've somehow got to get six home. So they literally take everything off, including the motors, the propeller, um, the whole carriage. Yeah. Basically, they're going to hang out in the eaves of the balloon. They're going to float and hope for the best. Yeah, because the, pl- the thinking is that all of the winds are going to blow them to Greenland, which sounds a bit dodgy, to be honest. You're gambling. You really are gambling, yes. yeah. But um, they get... well, that's okay, because they're miles away from where the Vikings have sailed for the night. Yeah. Um, so they finally get up in the air, and uh, they have brandies all round. And then, like, Sir Anthony finishes his brandy, and then just smashes his glass on the floor. <laughs> I'm just like, this is the epitome of this character. He what? just doesn't give a shit about anyone or anyone else's property or, you know, as long as he's getting what he wants. He's reducing the weight of a ship, you know. That glass was very heavy, you know. <laughs> he smashes it on the floor. It's still going to weigh the ship down. Yeah. If anything, it make it a bit soggy as well, like the water had weight to it. I honestly wondered if it was like an accidental... Sh- like, it was the best acting shot, but he accidentally dropped the glass. Yeah. So they just got a Foley guy to just add a smashing <laughs> sound to it. Because I honestly couldn't figure out why he would have just smashed the glass. It'd be very funny if like, this was his 20th take and every time he kept doing that and between shots just like <laughs> someone would sweep and push like, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they see the Vikings camping by the crater because they think, the Vikings still obviously think that they're going to come back yeah. out of this uh, crater. I think they uh, say the famous words, oh no, Donald says it's a fair. It's all over now. We're yeah. all right. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's um, going to happen. Nothing. To which Freya is basically like, well, you might be all right, but I've now got to go to a new, completely new world that I've never experienced before and don't speak the language very well. Um, and that she'll miss her dad. But then Donald's like, yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be, it'll be all right. And she's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I assume I'd moved back to London. Yeah. She's, she should be fine there. But it turns out, once they're up in the air, they realise that the wind is blowing them back to Astagard <laughs> and not to Greenland, which, you know, they had a, you know... I was going to say a 50-50 chance, but the wind could blow in literally any direction. So. Well, a 25% chance, unless you want to start getting to like northwestern, southeast, <laughs> yeah. and all that shit. Um, so, Rotten luck, shall we say. Yeah. But they, they're first worried uh, when the ship floats above all the Vikings. They think they're about to be attacked en masse. Yeah. But they all run away. Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, all but one. The Goda. Yeah. The coked-up Goda. 
you know. It may, maybe he's gotten to like the ketamine or something. I, I don't know drugs. I don't know what affects it off. Maybe, yeah. maybe like the speed and he's like, come on then, let's have it then, lads. Yeah, and the goad is nearing the end of um, the Zelda quest that he's on, so he's already equipped the fire arrows. <laughs> um, so he fires an arrow, a flaming arrow into the Hyperion, which obviously we get a good sort of Hindenburg-style explosion. Yeah. In fact, I wrote it down as well. It's pretty obvious that's what they were evoking here. Yeah, even, and it... even the way it's shot, because obviously you've got that famous yeah. um, footage. Oh, who shot it? It was the bloody... It like the uh, British-based archive. Paid? Yes, PAVE. The PAVE footage. Yeah, the, the PAVE footage of Hindenburg. Yeah. Available in full-blown 4K on YouTube now, I believe. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'll have to check that out after this. Yeah. Um, they basically nicked it shot for shot. Yeah, and uh, obviously it goes bang and lands on the goader, the plonker. Yes. <laughs> You're just like, ha ha oh shit. What I liked about this is it was literally the goader's own... He, he creates his own downfall because they have no ability on that dirigible to steer at all. Yeah. So he, they don't steer it into him. He literally blows himself yeah. up, which is great. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> yeah. So the, we go back to the Viking Council uh, who say, you know, the Goda was a moron. Uh, <laughs> the prisoners are free to go as long as they leave a hostage. And I really don't get the logic to this. So the, the reason they say that the... They don't. They want to be sure that the expedition are not going to tell everyone about their island. Yep. So they have to leave a hostage, and I don't understand why leaving a hostage means that they won't talk about the island. Because the idea was to leave Donald behind, and the idea was if Servantney or whoever started talking about it, then they'd kill Donald right away. Right. I guess so. Um. So. Uh, I believe that's the idea behind it. Now, what makes slightly less sense is the fact that Professor Iverson then like volunteers himself because yeah. you know, as an archaeologist, he wants to stay there. You know, yeah. basically spend the rest of his life, you know, researching and studying uh, these people. But maybe the Vikings don't realise that this is just some bloke they kidnapped. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, they, they get their hostage, so they're happy. Yeah. Um, and then Freya says, you know, tatty bye to her dad. Yeah. Now, and... this is the bit that doesn't make sense to me. Right. So you've got to leave a hostage behind so you don't ever tell about it. Oh, by the way, uh, this uh, uh, this woman from our island, she can, you know, move to England, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. No yeah. one at any point is going to ask her, you know, for like a birth certificate or anything like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Did we, we didn't have national insurance numbers back then, so she yeah. she could live off the grid. Oh, fair enough, yeah. She doesn't need a provisional driving licence to get a <laughs> bottle of Wicked from Spa, so. Just say she, she's just escaped the workhouse and everyone will believe it. Yeah. But yeah, so that's the end of the film. Everyone flies, well... I've I've already forgotten how they actually escape. Well, they just walk away. That's it. Oh, that's it. Yeah, we never we don't set up any kind of plot of how they get home. They're just gonna get home. No, they're just gonna get home somehow. Even though their ship's been destroyed, they're literally hundreds of miles away from anything resembling uh, civilization. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but whatever. The end. The end, and it, because obviously we've had our opening credits, it is literally the end and yes. throws you back to the menu screen of whatever app you were using. Yeah. Speaking of, we went finally went to see Avengers Endgame this week. Oh, yes. And sat all the way through the bloody credits to find out that there's no final scene. I was warned about this before, and so I, I got to leave 15 minutes early. Yeah, I was fuming. It's literally a noise that was made in the first Iron Man film. 
Yeah, really annoyed as well because the staff of the, the Parkway Cinema were cleaning around us and still let us just sit there through the fucking credits. Were you the only two there? So- there was two people behind us as well who were also waiting for the credits. <sighs> Uh, I should have mentioned it, to be fair. This, my, my fault. This middle-aged woman was sat behind us with her granddaughter or whatever. She obviously thought that there was going to be a scene. We were all disappointed. And then the woman, the middle-aged woman, was sort of mansplaining to us about how there's usually a scene at the end of the credits. <laughs> I'm like, why the fuck do you think we were sat through them, love? Like, we're here... Because we were expecting it. You don't have to tell us. We, we, we just, Read the room. Yeah, we just, uh, you know, went to sit here and appreciate over 250 people that worked in catering. <laughs> yeah. Thank was... you, craft services. You did a bang-up job. But at least now we're sort of up to date with Marvel. Yeah. We've not seen Spider-Man Homecoming, but it's coming home on Netflix next month. Yes. So I don't have to bother trying to buy I, it. I, I was going to make a football's coming home joke, but that's a year too late. Uh, isn't, I, it, isn't it two decades too late? No, we made a comeback last year during oh. the World Cup when we did really well. Oh, did it? Yeah. Right. Sorry, second football reference of this podcast. Not get out. Get just, out. just in general. <laughs> the uh, what was I going to say? Uh, I hadn't seen Captain Marvel or the Ant Man and the Wasp beforehand, so I was slightly lost at the beginning. Oh, I haven't seen Ant Man and the Wasp either, but I've seen the first Ant Man. Yeah. So. You could sort of get what. Yeah, was going yeah, on, the, but, yeah, it was easy enough to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, final thoughts. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I'd got him to say it was the best film we've seen so far. It was just nice. Yeah. They got all the explanation out of the way in the first 10 minutes, and then they didn't feel the need to burn through pages and pages and pages of plot. They just sort of got to a nice, more serene pace. And they had the confidence just to drift along and let this adventure unfold in front of you. And I really enjoyed it. I agree wholeheartedly with that. High five, Chris. Yeah. We finally found a film. And I'm really so excited because it was, you know, a hidden gem because it was a film I was not aware of. Yeah. And I really bloody loved it. It only took us, what, is this episode 10 now? Uh, I think we're on eight or nine, but yeah, it's it was so fun a film. It got all of the heavy bit out of the way, as you said. Um, the score, in particular, was really impressive. Visually, it was impressive from start to finish, and it did bomb at the time. And I, you know, we've talked about how Disney's reputation during this sort of period, especially you know late sixties, early seventies. This was only came out three years after the Million Dollar Duck. So it's all right, Disney, you know, they made a big song and dance about how much they were spending on this film, how, what an adventure it was going to be. But I still genuinely think that the general public just didn't trust Disney at this time. No, it's basically like this 70s version of DC. Yeah. In that, you know, you put out so much shit and there's only so much that your fans are going to take before they go, nah. Yeah, exactly. So, scores? Um... I'm a bit on the fence about this one because my mind wants to say eight, but I'm not sure if we're ever going to get higher without doing the big guns, so I might go nine. Yeah, so I'll go nine on this one. Really you know enjoyed what? it. I'm in exactly the same situation. I feel like eight is too low for how much I did in- genuinely enjoy this film. But yeah, fuck it, nine. Hey, <laughs> the highest rated film 
Yeah. By far, so far. Oh, I'm, and I've I've been so happy. We watched it last night, and I've been just happy all day knowing that we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, Something positive for once. And as I expected, this is going to be the shortest episode because we've got so little to sort of yeah but, shit on. <laughs> that's the problem. I find this on uh, my other podcast as well. It's like if we actually really like a film, we sometimes struggle to say anything because it's easy <laughs> yeah. to do jokes around something that's sort of shit. But this time... My notes were about yeah. half as long as for Gus. <laughs> yeah. You know, this time, um, thanks, Mum, for watching this when I came in uh, from work and I saw it and I thought, oh, that looked good. I'm really... You know, I was annoyed that I had to buy outright the license for the film and I did choose Amazon because we used it quite a bit anyway. But I'm so happy that we did... Um, because I will definitely be re-watching this film again. Yes. So I'm glad to have it in my collection. I may even go physical media on this one. Ooh, fancy. And it's making me look forward to um, watching some more of the sort of Jules Verne, H.G. wells films, because I've not seen any of the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or Journey to the Centre of the Earth and things like that. I've not seen any of that side of Disney. Oh, okay. So I'm. it's put me in a good mood. Yeah. I mean, I know... I- I can't remember if Jennifer's Earth was Disney or not. I think it might be, but that's decent as well. So. Yeah. Um, again, at Disneyland Paris in the uh, yesterday land, as you've been calling <laughs> it, they have a walkthrough attraction, which is the Nautilus submarine from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, yeah, and it's basically cool. like um, a full-scale model that you can just walk around. That's really cool as well. So I'm looking forward to, at some point in the future, oh my God, oh my God. I've just had the realisation, I'm supposed to be picking a film and I haven't picked one. I thought you had done. We Wait, discussed shit, it before. what was I talking about? Ugh. You've literally referenced the name of it several times in this episode. Have I? Yes. You said you were going to do something ultra-modern. Oh, yes, I did. Thank you, Chris. No problem. <laughs> yes, so um, for next time, we are going to be going very, very current. Um, I think it was about... It was actually released two years ago today. Yeah. And it was Tomorrowland. There we go. <laughs> it's as though it all ties in nicely. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Oh, buzzing. Yep. I can't believe I'd forgotten that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all we've talked about. Yeah. So this was supposed to be um, vaguely related to Disney's, well, I guess, Tomorrowland. Like, it's supposed to be theme parky, which is why I'm quite excited to see it. Uh, maybe once to justify renovating Tomorrowland, taking Yesterdayland back into Tomorrowland again. Yeah, maybe this'll be the, this'll be the filmic reason why Discoveryland is better than Tomorrowland. Yes. We'll have to wait and see. We will. So, where can people find you on Tinterweb, Christopher? You can find me on Twitter, at KidsSwole, that's S-W-O-L. And I am on at TimblesRH, and the official Twitter for this podcast is at Without a Mouse, and we're also on Instagram, at Without a Mouse. I mean, it's kind of my personal Instagram as well as the podcast. Yeah, I know. Lots of pictures of Daisy the cat I approve. It, it's either cats or uh, food I've made, so... Oh, definitely and then, approve. A, then occasionally a film poster. Yep. And uh, we're also available on Spotify, we're available on iTunes, give us five stars, please and thank you. Yeah, as we said last week, if you review us anywhere, um, feel free to leave a review of any of the films that we've reviewed, and we will read it out on a future podcast. Yeah, and uh, we, should, we should call it a gimmick for that. We really should. Yeah. Anyway, go away.
Without a Mouse is part of the We Made This Podcast Network. Logo by Chris House. Theme tune by Ether Orr.